0: today in our study through the book of Amos, this is a very appropriate introduction. We're going to be in chapters 4 and 5 today, and the reason why it's a, a longer passage is because of the way it all flows together. It's more of a, a, a cohesive list of, this is what religion looks like, here's some warnings, here's some invitations to the people, and it's one big, um, almost like a sermon in itself. And... Um, the interesting thing about this passage is the way the the truth comes out through it and how it applies to our culture, our lifestyles today. So I was thinking about how I could how I could illustrate the the main point that's going to come through this text today. And so here's what I thought of. I have in my possession a lot of clemson clothes i mean i've got a, a section in my closet that's all orange and a little bit of white a couple purple i see a couple people shaking their head like hey Amen. sorry i'm not sorry It's it's that's the most beautiful part of my closet is the orange section so here's the thing though in that in that section, I've also, I've got a, a few, um, a couple of football jerseys. One that I got actually from the team that was one of their practice jerseys that one of the defensive linemen wore a few years back. Uh, and so it's not just like you're, you know, like when you buy in a sports store. It's, it's different. It's got the shoulder pad wells in there, and it's, and it's a little shorter. It's not, you know, one of those longer ones, and it's, But you can tell by the construction of it, it's it's an official football team jersey that they would be out there wearing in practice or even in a scrimmage. So here's the thing about that. I can wear that jersey. I like to wear that jersey. But wearing that jersey doesn't make me a member of the Clemson football team. I mean, I'm, I can, I can wear, and if I'm, in, if I'm around someone I don't know, it's never seen me before. You know, I'm not a small guy. I could probably run a little, little lie and say, yeah, I played football at Clemson. Yeah, but I didn't. I went to Clemson. I didn't play football. Uh, so I don't. I haven't gone through spring, summer, fall camp. I haven't gone through all the work. I haven't earned a spot on the team, I I don't find my name on the roster, I don't get to go to the games and get on the bus, and I certainly don't get the rings. So I can wear the jersey, but I'm not on the team. So today's scripture kind of painted that picture for me this week. That's why I titled the message, Going Through the Motions we can look the part we can attend a few things and and maybe make ourselves look and seem like we're something but maybe we're not i can i can walk in the door i can sit in a pew i can go to this event or that event i can participate in this ministry or that ministry but doing stuff like that does not mean I'm on the team you see where I'm going there's only one thing that puts me in the family of God that makes me a child of God and that is surrender faith the grace of God the crucifixion burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ on my behalf, Jesus died for my sins, if I believe in Him, trust in Him, surrender to Him, trust Him for salvation, ask Him to forgive me of of my sin, then I'm on the team. Because Jesus has put me on the team through his actions on my behalf. He stood in my place. He died for my sins. He rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven. And because I fully trust by the grace of God through faith in Christ that that's my ticket to heaven, only that, that's why I'm on the team. Let's look at the scripture because God paints that picture through his word way better than I could explain it even though I felt like that was a pretty decent illustration, you know. But I, I, I don't think it's as good as, it's not anywhere as good as what God says. Amos chapter 4, I want to read through, any time a passage of scripture starts by the prophet calling these people a bunch of cows, you've got to read it. So, Amos chapter 4, verse 1, and we'll read through chapter 4 and then the first part of chapter 5. And, and here's what the Bible says. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan who are on the mountain of Samaria. Who oppress the poor, crush the needy, who say to your husbands, Bring now that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness, Behold, the days are coming upon you when they will take you away with meat hooks and the last of you with fish hooks. You will go out through breaches in the walls, each one straight before her, and you'll be cast to Harman, declares the Lord. Enter Bethel and transgress. In Gilgal, multiply transgression Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. See, Bethel and Gilgal, just as a side note, those cities were centers of false religion. Verse 5. Offer a thank offering also from that which is leavened and proclaim freewill offerings. Make them known, for so you love to do, you sons of Israel, declares the Lord God. But I gave you also cleanness of teeth in all your cities, lack of bread in all your places, Yet, you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Remember that phrase. Furthermore, I withheld the rain from you while there were still three months until harvest. Then I would send rain on one city, and on another city I would not send rain. One part would be rained on, while the part not rained on would dry up. So two or three cities would stagger to another city to drink water, but would not be satisfied. Yet, you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I smote you with a scorching wind and mildew, and the caterpillar was devouring your many gardens and vineyards, fig trees and olive trees. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I sent a plague among you after the manner of Egypt. I slew your young men by the sword along with your captured horses. I made the stench of your camp rise up in your nostrils. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand snatched from a blaze. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus I'll do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms mountains, creates the wind, and declares to man what are his thoughts he who makes dawn into darkness treads on the high places of the earth, the Lord God of hosts is his name. Hear this word, which I take up for you as a dirge, O house of Israel. She has fallen. She will not rise again, the virgin Israel. She lies neglected on her land. There's none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, The city which goes forth a thousand strong will have a hundred left. And the one which goes forth a hundred strong will have ten left to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me that you may live. But do not resort to Bethel. Do not come to Gilgal nor cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal will certainly go into captivity. Bethel will come to trouble. Seek the Lord that you may live. Or he will break forth like a fire. O house of Joseph, and it will consume with none to quench it for Bethel, for those who turn justice into wormwood and cast righteousness down to the earth. He who made the Pleiades and Orion and changes deep darkness into morning, who also darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name. It is he who flashes forth with destruction upon the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks with integrity. Therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor and exact a tribute of grain from them, though you have built houses of well-hewn stone, yet you will not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, yet you will not drink their wine. For I know your transgressions are many, and your sins are great." you who distress the righteous and accept bribes and turn aside the poor in the gate. Therefore, at such a time, the prudent person keeps silent, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And thus may the Lord God of hosts be with you, just as you have said, hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. Perhaps the Lord God of hosts may be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Father, I pray that you would bless your word today among us, that you would give us understanding, and I pray you will help us, help us to be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a a very interesting passage, and I felt like... You know, it needed a little illustration before we just jumped right into it. But let me, let me give you the central truth of this whole passage I just read. The central truth of that text is that God wants genuine devotion to Him. Genuine devotion, which is represented by a life that reflects His character. We talked about this last week. It's a running theme if you're going to claim the name, you have to live the life. You can't just walk around flaunting this title, oh, I'm a Christian, but then your life looks nothing like what the Bible says a Christian looks like. You understand what I'm saying? You can't do that. You can do it, but it's a lie. It's, it's, not, it's, it's biblically dishonest to walk through town, through church, through your work, through a school, and to call yourself a Christian if you're not willing to live the Christian life that the Bible presents to us. That just makes no sense. So this puts us at a crisis of belief. It puts us at a crossroads because here's what has to happen. If we're going to be consistent if we're going to be logically and in any other way realistic, here's what has to happen. Either we claim the name Christian and surrender ourselves to Christ and to His Word and say, God, I know I'm going to fail you, I know I'm going to mess up, but I'm going to do everything that you have empowered me to do to live in the way you tell me to live. Whatever it is, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. You can, we can go down that road... Or we can go down the much less pleasant road that looks like this. You know, God, you're right. I've been calling myself a Christian, but I'm not living like So you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to stop calling myself a Christian. I'll just forgo that. Because I'm not living like it anyway, so I'm just going to live however I want. I'll just, I'll just drop the title. There's no choice number three. Those are the only two logically consistent choices that are ahead of us. If we're going to call ourselves Christians and want to be seen in that way, then that brings with it some necessary responsibilities. If we aren't worried about those responsibilities and, and doing what the Word of God says, then the consistent thing to do is drop the title. So that's where we are today. That's where this text puts us. That's where the whole Word of God puts us. If we are claiming to be saved by the grace of God, then that means necessarily live like it. Do something about that. God has, by His grace and His mercy and His love, forgiven your sin, saved you from hell. probably ought to respond to that probably ought to live differently in light of that and, and I'm just being kind there's no probably to it that's how we're supposed to live that's what surrender means it means I'm not in charge anymore I didn't die for my own sins I didn't sacrifice for my own forgiveness and eternal life Jesus did that and because of that, Jesus has every right to tell me whatever he wants to tell me, to do whatever he wants me to do. He he has that right. He's in that place of authority because of what he's done. You okay? You with me? So this text here, I'm just going to give you three sections, three uh, categories, so to speak. There's... Three centers of false religion. So number one, there's three centers of false religion that lead us to our text, or through our text today. Bethel, Gilgal, and Beersheba. And Bethel is singled out somewhat because that's where Amos first arrived. When he brought this prophecy to the people, that's the first place he went. And so he he didn't back up. He didn't stutter. He went straight into the center of the false religion, this this, uh, and, and really, that's almost redundant, false religion, because religion in itself is just man's attempt to try to get to heaven without God. It's an appearance. That's what religion is. So there's three centers of false religion first, these three cities. Number two, there's three characteristics of false religion so you have, first of all, religion mixed with corruption. So let's look at that a little bit. Religion mixed with corruption. So the very first address here in this text, when, when Amos says, hey, you cows, um, that'll get your attention. I, I'm, not, you know, I'm not fully experienced in life at my age yet, but uh, I know better than to walk into a, a gathering of ladies and address them as cows. I do know that much. That's not what you do. If you value your life, you don't do that. But that's how he leads off, you cows of Bashan. And then he, he says, he's not just going to call him this name. He's going to define what he means. Look at the actions, the characteristics of false religion, this religion mixed with corruption. You oppress the poor. You crush the needy. You subvert the family. So you're going to be dealt with violently. Over in chapter 5, this this same theme, over in chapter 5, verse 7, Amos says you turn justice into wormwood. That word wormwood means bitterness. So there's no justice. It's a mockery of justice. You cast righteousness down to the earth. Verse 10 says you hate Him who reproves in court. In other words, the person who calls you to account, you don't like them. The truth hurts. So when you're in a a court proceeding and someone unleashes some truth on you and it's negative toward you, you don't like them because they've, well, they've told the truth. You despise the one who tells the truth, it says in verse 10. You trample on the poor. You oppress the righteous. You deprive the poor of justice. You know, what's interesting is there's a very similar theme over in the New Testament. And I'll just read a couple of these verses to you. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Second 2 Peter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 5, Peter tells God's people, "...for this reason, applying all diligence in your faith." Supply moral excellence. So add to your faith. It's not just enough to believe. You should be cultivating your belief into characteristics that look like Jesus. Add moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. And, and Peter says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, then they render you not useless, not unfruitful in the true knowledge of, of Christ, But then he says if you lack these qualities, then you're blind, you're short-sighted, you've forgotten the fact you've been purified from your former sins. So this theme is not just in the Old Testament prophets. It's in other parts of Scripture as well. The point is, a characteristic of false religion is corruption. There's not honesty in your dealings. The second part of that characteristic there of false religion, it's religion without a recognition of sin. Look at chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. The prophet says to go to these cities, this center of false religion, go ahead and sin. Multiply your sins, it says. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes. So here's what's happening. Lacking a recognition of sin means you're going to keep going to church. This is good. You need to listen to this right here. You're going to keep going to church, and you're going to go through the motions, check the boxes, keep up the appearance. Oh, but you're going to keep on sinning. You're not going to change your lifestyle at all. You're going to keep sinning, living however you want with no regard for God or His Word, but you're also going to be at church every Sunday. Maybe even throw in a Wednesday. But from Monday to Saturday, no difference in you and the rest of the world. Oh, but but I'm going to check the boxes. I'm going to legalistically observe the law and the traditions and, and, get this, I'm going to brag about my offerings. See that in verse 5? Offer a thank offering, proclaim free will offerings, and make them known. So in other words, every time I drop something in a plate, I'm going to get an envelope, I'm going to fill it out, and I'm going to write... Big letters, everybody can see my name. Big numbers, everybody see what I put in there. And then I'm oh, oops, I dropped it on the floor here. Let me pick that up so you can see it before I drop it in there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brag about what I'm putting in the offering plate. And let me just take that a step further. The day I believe God Almighty needs my money to do his work, I don't know what to say about that. God doesn't need me or my money. God created the world. You think he needs a tenth of my paycheck? Why do we do this? Why why do we put money in this offering plate? Because God said to. And last time I checked, Jesus was hanging on a cross for my sins. So when he asks me, and by the way, you ever flip that around? God asks, asks for 10% for a tithe. You know what that really means? God says, I trust you with 90% of everything I've given you. Just, just put 10% of it here. Just so you know you can trust me to provide for everything you need. But here, I'm giving you 90% to be a manager of it. I just ask for just just a measly little 10%. He doesn't need it. The purpose of a tithe is to check your heart. The purpose of putting a 10% of everything you have in this plate is to show the world and to remind us God's got me covered. God takes care of me. God will provide for me. I'm going to be obedient to him because that's what he told me to do, and he deserves way more than that, but he only asks for 10%. So I'm going to give it to him because I trust him to do anything and everything he needs to do with me or for me, through me but false religion is I'm going to brag about that because you know what it's a good thing it's a good thing that God wised up and put me on his team because you know I got all this to give false religion without a recognition of sin. And the third characteristic is religion without seeking God. Religion without seeking God. This is also chapter 4, verse 5, and also chapter 5, verse 5. They're going to go. They have to be told not to go to the centers of false religion. Verse 5 in chapter 5 says, Do not resort to Bethel. Do not come to Gilgal. Do not cross over to Beersheba. That's the centers of false religion and see when you're not seeking God you're bragging about what you give that's a glory for man not a glory for God we're it's like we're seeking the culture of the church instead of the God of the church some i found it to be true it seems like sometimes we we like we like the just the, the community, the culture in the church, but we're not so much concerned about the God of the church. We just like I like being there, I like hanging out with the people. I like what we do, you know, but you know, I'm not worried about the spiritual part. And I'm not worried about, you know, being in a small group and being in Bible study and, you know, praying for each I'm not worried about all that nonsense. I just I like kind of hanging out. You know? It's a social it's a social outing on Sunday morning you know when I come to church Sunday morning it's not it's not for Bible study it's not for worship it's not for prayer it's not for giving and obedience to God it's I just I just show up because I got some friends over there at the church you know I just like to hang out with people and talk to them and that's really the only place only time during the week I can really catch up with my friends so I just that's why I go that's not why the church exists that's not who the church is and Amos's point to to the people here and to us today is if that's your direction, if that's why you come to church, well, I just want to catch up with my buddies, so that's why I'm coming to church, just stay home. Just stay just stay home. Did you know God would rather have a few moments with people who with, with ten people that are truly devoted to him than with a thousand who just coming to be entertained did you realize that god can do more through 10 people who are totally surrendered to him than he can through 990 who don't care anything about him or his church they just show up for what they can get out of it are y'all all right do you understand what i'm saying do you understand what god's word is telling us this hurts my feelings Because there are churches all over the world, mostly in the United States, where they're filled with people. But why? Because, hey, they got a kicking band over there. They got 5,000 people in an auditorium. I can slip in the back. Nobody's even knowing I'm there. And I can just slip right out the same way. No accountability. But I can catch a good show, hear a good little talk, and you know, feel better about myself, clear my conscience and I'm out the out the door. And I'm back to my life. Do you hear me? Do you hear what I'm Do you hear what God is saying to us? That's not glorifying him. That's not that's not doing it for God. That's not what he's looking for. I don't have anything I love a good band. I've played in them, I've heard them. I, I enjoy that. But that's not on God's top five list of what he's got to have in, in, you know, in order to be glorified. Now, you can glorify God through that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not preaching against music. <laughs> I love music. love all kinds of music. But I'm just saying that's not God's priority. Okay? He doesn't have to have that to be glorified. And so that, like anything else, can get out of place So that's a characteristic of false religion. When we prioritize a cult of personality in a preacher or a particular style of music or a set of instruments or, you know, and and like I said, I, I play drums, I play guitar, I love good music. But I'm just saying it's not all about the music. Not all about this particular preacher or that particular preacher or that it, that's not what it's about. it's about it's it's about this right here it's about God has spoken to us and Jesus died for you that that's what it's about okay and when we could we could pack we could we could build a building ten times this size and pack it out we could have the state-of-the-art lights we could have state-of-the-art sound we could hire musicians and have the best band in the state of south carolina and we could pack this place every single sunday with thousands of people but if we're not preaching the word of god and surrendering to jesus christ it does not matter not one bit now if we can do all that and preach the gospel and, and see those waters back there flowing every, every week because people are being saved and baptized? Great. Let's rock out. That's fine find with me. But we've got to make sure our priorities stay true to the Word. True to the Word. Now, the final part of this whole passage... We've had centers of false religion, characteristics of false religion. But the final portion here that's scattered throughout these two chapters is a set of warnings and a set of invitations. Uh, And as I read through the passage, I I tried to key key you in on those phrases there because this one phrase is repeated six times. I'm sorry, five times in in chapter 4. And it's, the first one's in, in verse 6, chapter 4, verse 6. And then you see it again in verse 8, and verse 9, and verse 10, and verse 11. God goes through this list of things. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. And every time he, he closes with this phrase. Yet, you have not returned to me. It's almost as if God is standing in heaven looking over His people and saying what am I going to have to do to get your attention? How bad does it have to get? Are, are, you, are you paying attention? God, God is almost screaming from heaven. I thought when this happened to you you would take notice. I thought when you had to go through this terrible challenge you, your eyes would be open." Again and again and again, I did this, I sent that, you suffered this, yet you have not returned. I like to call it the the 9-12 phenomenon, because you know what happened on 9-11. And on 9-12, the whole country was paying attention. 9-11 9/11 was on a Tuesday. 9/16 was the following Sunday. Couldn't get in a church. They were packed. The first Sunday after 9/11, and I've, I've said this several times before, couldn't get into church because everybody wanted to be there because they knew something needed to happen. Well, guess what happened the following Sunday on September 23rd. Everything was back to normal. It took all of a week and a half. The whole, it was like, you're going along, here's your attendance. Get to 916, boom! And then 923, back down here. It was a blip on the radar. Something that catastrophic. What, What does it take for God to get our attention? honestly how many warnings does he have to give us how many catastrophes have to happen before now i'm not talking about the world i'm talking about god's people this is addressed to god's people what has to happen for god's people will wake up and be serious about following christ what's got to happen How bad does it have to get before something will jar your world enough to where you realize, hey, God's pretty serious. Maybe I should reevaluate my direction in life because there's some stuff happening here. I, I don't know what it's going to take. But over and over and over again, he gives us warnings. This, this prophecy was written 750 years before Jesus Christ was born. That means we're getting close to 3,000 years from today since this was written. What's got to happen? Do you know what all's happened in the last 3,000 years? A lot. What's it going to take for us to wise up and wake up every time, yet you have not returned to me? That's the whole reason disasters happen. They're given to us. They're allowed to be uh, given to us by God so people can wake up, turn from our sin, and seek Him. He keeps saying that also. You see that as we move through the passage. Verse 4 in chapter 5. Seek me that you may live. And He doesn't just say it once. Verse 6. Seek the Lord that you may live. And that's not all He says. Verse 14, Seek good and not evil, that you may live. It's Over and over and over again. Verse 15, Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. Perhaps the Lord God of hosts may be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Perhaps. See, the interesting thing about God's Word is we can read it and study it and, and with, with pretty, pretty good level of certainty we can, we can read and study God's Word and we can see the central truth of the text of Scripture. That's what I shared with you at the outset. That this is what God desires. He wants genuine devotion that is represented by lives that show off his character. Okay? We're supposed to live like Jesus. That's that's our goal. We're going to fall short, but that's our goal, live like Jesus. So, you know what happens when you preach a word like this? The central truth of the text of scripture becomes the central truth of the sermon. That's how that works. So if God desires genuine devotion that is represented by lives that are molded after His character, that means God's children, us, have to live lives characterized by godliness. Because you know what that does? When we live godly lives, that shows evidence of regeneration. You know what regeneration is? It's a Bible word It means you're saved. So so let, let's just boil this down real quick. You're telling me that if I surrender to Jesus and live like Jesus, then my life is going to show evidence that I belong to Jesus? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm telling you. That sounds pretty reasonable, doesn't it? if I have surrendered to Jesus and then I'm living for Jesus, then my life is supposed to look like Jesus. That's what God wants from us. That's what He's been warning His people for, for, the, for the past, at least the past 3,000 years, longer than that. That's what God is, is asking of us. Surrender to Jesus Christ. Live for Jesus Christ. Then look like Jesus Christ. How, how else do you believe we're ever going to make a dent in this thing called the Great Commission, where we're supposed to be making disciples of all nations? How is that going to happen if we're not living like Jesus and looking like Jesus? So when we share the gospel verbally, you know what that does? Our life gives credibility to our message. You see how that works. You know what the 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 best proof of the truth of the gospel is It's the Christian that's living the gospel not just not just saying it see i can I can stand up here and I can preach and I can tell you whatever I want to tell you but you know what'll you know what'll make you forget what I told you quicker than anything? Me living like something else. I mean if you if I mean I'm gonna mess up. I've told you that. I'm a sinner. I'm gonna mess up. I'm not perfect. Far from it. Ask Darlene. Far from it. But I got a goal. I've got, a, I've got a very specific goal and direction, and that's to live for Jesus. Now, if I preach to you that you need to surrender to Jesus and live for Jesus, but then I don't live for Jesus, what's that tell you? Well, he's full of mud. That must not really mean all that much. It must not be that important, because if he's up there talking about that stuff, but then he's not even willing to do it himself, must not be a whole lot to that message. But the opposite is also true. If you're going to speak it, you need to live it. Then people will begin to see the truth of the gospel. That's how this whole thing works. See, Christianity is not easy. I don't, know, I don't know where that belief came from. Somewhere, somehow, people have this crazy notion that, and it's probably through a bunch of sorry preachers. Oh, if you come, come follow Jesus, your life will be great. You'll be, you'll be rich, you'll be in good health, you'll have everything you ever wanted. Where's that in the Bible? Talk to the disciples. Hey, come follow Jesus. You'll be hunted down and kicked out of the temple and you'll lose everything you ever had. You'll probably get killed in the end. Come on. It'll be great. Yeah, see, what the Bible says and what the world says, typically not the same. But I can tell you what you already know. I can tell you which one's right. The Bible's right. Christianity is not easy. It, it's it's a, a life characterized by sacrifice and humility and surrender. But the retirement plan is amazing because it involves spending eternity with Christ in heaven. And, and I haven't found anything that compares to that yet. Surrender to Jesus. Live for Jesus. Look like Jesus. And tell somebody. Let's pray.